Welcome to the Faith-Led Business Podcast, a home for entrepreneurs who want to take their God-given gifts and use them to strategically create a legacy of success for themselves and the people that they serve. My name is Monica Perez Burnett. I am your host, mom of eight with two sets of twins. I am a visibility coach, lover of all things tech, and I aim for you to live a life of faith over fear. And we are live. Faithpreneurs, I have the most exciting experience waiting for to happen. You know, I have Jeremy Nix, um, my new best friend here with us, who is going to be sharing with us all of his, uh, first a little bit of his story, but also what his experience from his past work and so forth can help us now as as entrepreneurs, as faithpreneurs, to have better relationships, communicate better, and uh, be more effective, right, in business. So um, Jeremy has done, guess what, which I think is like the coolest, the coolest thing that you could put like under your name as like having done, he's a hostage negotiator. So, you know, I can say, you know, I'm a mom of eight, <laughs> but... I don't know. I think that's just way too cool. So, Jeremy, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and then I'll ask you a few other questions after that. But give us a little. A little well, I just want to first start by saying how I, how many guys just want to hang out with Monica because she makes you feel like a million dollars. So, um, like that, I want the intro every time I come home, so my boys know. Like, listen, <laughs> I'm pretty cool. The uh, but yes, so I am a I am a um, certified, trained, and experienced hostage and crisis negotiator, and um, was in was in um, first responder service for almost a decade, and uh, but bef but before I'm those things, I am a dad to two teenage boys. I've got an 18 year old that's about to graduate high school and a 15 year old that's just starting in high school. So just as I was figuring out the whole parenting thing, they're getting ready to leave me, and then I've got my amazing wife, who's also my business partner of 19 years, um, my wife of 19 years, my business partner of four years. And, um, and we, we just really enjoy life together. We have a lot of fun. And those are the things I am first. And actually I pursue the vehicle of entrepreneurialism so that I can live the dream of being a, a, a dad who doesn't miss a thing in his kid's life. Cause I spent a big chunk of their life missing it. And I was tired of that. And I all, I, I had so many people as, as a guy and um, I had so many people in my life telling me that it's important to have a traditional job so that you're guaranteed income so you can provide for your family. And what I realized is some traditions are meant to be broken because tradition was keeping me from miss, from being with the people that I love the most. And so that's what took a life as a hostage negotiator and converted it into an entrepreneurial endeavor that then built a pretty successful business utilizing those very skills. So that's a little bit about me. Now, did you want me to share like the rest yes. of my story? Like, what do you want me to share? Tell yes. me. Oh my gosh, I want the book. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that I would love to know, just going back, so that's amazing in itself because we all, you know, we think about, they say your why needs to make you cry, right? And, and the different, uh, just the reasons why you do things. But I always love to start off with, tell us a little bit about your faith journey. How did, how did this, because I like to invite faithpreneurs 
um, into yeah. our space, right? So I would love to see uh, or hear uh, your take on, not your take, your experience. For sure. So I, I grew up in church. My dad was like, uh, I don't know what they call him now, but like he was a deacon and he, um, like we grew up going to church. I went on Sundays. I went on Wednesdays. I was in a small group. I was in all the musicals. I knew how to do church really well. And, um, and at the same time, I was also really involved in school and I kept those lives really separate. So I had the, I had the church life and then I had the really involved life in school. So I played football. I happened to be, I was the homecoming King. I had the girlfriend. I had all those. I say it like that because nobody cares the next day, but I, 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 I had all those things as well. And, um, something happened at the age of 16 at 16 years old. I, um, I, was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma and I was in, um, it's a cancer that gets into your lymph glands. And I was given a less than a 40% chance to live and even less of a chance of cure. And immediately school life and faith life merged. Immediately I found myself not wanting that separate life because I needed, I needed my faith. I needed God more than ever. And it was one of those, so I know I haven't been doing this right, God, but can you help me moments? And, um, and so I dove headfirst into my faith and I, and I, I really found myself just begging God to fix this. I know that I've done things wrong. I, I'd like all the things that you, you know, you'd expect from a 16 year old. Like I, I just, I lost everything. And all I had left was my faith because they took away football. They said, you can't play football. They took away hanging out with your friends. They said, if I hung out with my friends, which is funny what I'm about to say. They said, if you hang out with your friends, you'll have to wear a mask. <laughs> so anyways, um, they, they, because you can get really sick. They, they told me I couldn't go to school. They told me all the things that I had built my life on, the foundation of my life where the, the others and what they thought of me were stripped away. And so I found myself lying in a hospital bed at 16 years old. I had had multiple procedures to fight, figure out that diagnosis of being at stage 3B, which meant the cancer was everywhere in my body except for my legs. And that I was having fevers, night sweats, and chills. I had the number one oncologist in Southern California, which is where I'm from, the number one um, oncologist for my type of cancer. He had never worked with young people before. And he said, I'll work with him. He comes into my bedroom, my um, hospital room after a final surgery where they had done surgery on my stomach. And he tells me, my parents weren't even there and he didn't care. He said, Jeremy, the cancer is a lot worse than we thought. It doesn't look good for you. We had to remove your spleen. You will start chemotherapy in two days and then you'll do radiation treatment for 30 days straight after we finish chemotherapy. You probably will never have kids of your own and we're not sure we can fix this. I'll see you then. And he left. And in that moment, I went from God, you can help me, God, come on, I'm with you to very angry. I got very angry and my dad walked into the room after that and said, what did Dr. Saban have to say? And I said, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want anyone in my room. Just get out. And he said, no, no, what happened? And I told him what he had said. And I said, dad, it's not supposed to be this way. I grew up in church. I believe in God. He's supposed to fix this and he's not fixing this. I'm not going through chemotherapy. I'm not going through radiation. You're going to have to let me die. That's what's going to happen. And I, and my dad looked at me and, and what I didn't realize or put together at the time was that my dad had just lost his sister to stomach cancer 
a year and one week to the exact same day of my diagnosis. So my dad didn't have a lot of positive thoughts or words for his son. And in that moment, he said, son, I don't have anything to say. I don't know what to say. And which made me even more angry. So now not only has God let me down because he was supposed to fix this, not only have I lost everything that I that it was mattered to me because they took it all away, the cancer took it all away, but my dad, who was my hero, couldn't help me. And so then he took his Bible and I said, get out. I don't want to talk to you. Get out. And he grabbed his Bible, which was sitting next to my bed, but he had been reading it while he was waiting for me to wake up. He grabbed his Bible and he put it on my chest because he couldn't put it on my stomach because there was a big wound there. He put it on my chest and he said, I don't have words for you, but I think it's time for you to dig into God's word. And he walked out and I was stubborn for a few minutes and I laid there with that Bible on my chest and I was really mad. And then I did what I tell everybody never do. And I put God to a test and I said, all right, God, I'll give you one last shot. And so I opened up the Bible. Like, you know, that it was like, you're hoping that it's not like, and Judas hung himself like that. You're hoping you're going to get the good thing. And so, and so I opened up the Bible and I actually opened to second Kings chapter five, which is a story of a man named Naaman. And, and I read this entire chapter, chapter five, Naaman was a valiant soldier. He had it all. He had given his king great victory, but the Bible said Naaman had leprosy. And so the way I read that right, right away is, but Jeremy had cancer. Jeremy had all these things, but Jeremy had cancer. And so Naaman's master sent him to a prophet and to ask that prophet to help him. And when Naaman got to the prophet, the prophet didn't even come out of his house. Instead, he sent someone down to give Naaman a message who said, Naaman, go dip in the Jordan River seven times and you and you'll be healed. And Naaman, you would think, okay, like as I'm reading, I'm like, okay, this feels there's something here. And he says, but Naaman went away angry. I wanted God to fix me. And God said, you're going to go through chemotherapy. That's just the path for you. And I said, I'm so mad at you, God. Naaman went away angry. So many times we have an idea of how something's supposed to go and then we miss it. We miss what God actually, his idea. We need God's ideas more than we need our own ideas. And I had to learn that at 16 years old. And so I was angry. Naaman was angry and Naaman starts to stomp off and it took a servant girl, which I think is so, so amazing and so impressive is a servant comes up to Naaman and says, but master, why are you so angry? And he said, because he could have sent me to the Tigris River. He could have sent me to the Euphrates River. They're all really clean rivers. But this guy, he sends me to the Jordan. It's the dirtiest of all rivers. It's nasty. I don't. How am I going to get clean if I go in that? That's disgusting. Why couldn't he have had me go to those other rivers? And the servant said something, and I'll just say, Jeremy said, I could have done, he could have, he could have just said, you're healed, Jeremy, you're fine. He could have said, hey, just a little bit of chemotherapy or just a little bit of radiation. But he didn't. He said chemotherapy and radiation, not have children. He told me all of those things. And I stomped off angry. And the, and the servant said to Naaman, even if it's the dirtiest river, if it'll make you clean, why don't you just do it? You want to be clean. 
If he'd have told you, she actually asked him a question. If he'd have told you to do some great thing, would you have done it? Of course, Neiman's answer is yes. And she goes, so why not go wash and be clean? At the end of the day, your goal is to be healed. Why not? And so God said, if I'd have told you to do a great thing, 16-year-old who thinks they know everything, wouldn't you have done it? And I said, well, of course. So why not just go through your Jordan River, your chemotherapy, your radiation, and get clean? And so in that moment, I made a promise to God, which will bring us back to how I got to where I am today. In that moment, I made a promise to God that if he would take me through this, and Isaiah says, when you go through the fires, you will not be sun ablaze. When you go through the waters, they will not overtake you. When you go through the rivers, you will not be swept away because I'm the Lord, your God, your savior. I said, if you'll go with me through this, I'll do whatever you want with my life. I will do whatever you want, God. Just take me through this. And everything changed. I still went through chemotherapy. Six months, 12 cycles. It was horrible. Threw up constantly. I still went through radiation 30 days straight. It was horrible. Lost my taste buds. Had canker sores in my mouth every single day. It was horrible. And... I still went and got tested and was told I could never have children. It was horrible. Conversation I had to have with my wife after I proposed, which is a different story because I probably should have said it first. Conversation I had to have with my wife about not being able to have children of our own. That was hard. But something had shifted in me because what does it matter as long as I was clean? And I began to do things different. Things like seeing the fun in every moment. Things like going into the hospital where I was the youngest person in an entire hospital. So they were so used to working with elder people. They didn't know what to do with the 16 year old who wanted to play poker with his nurse at two in the morning. They didn't know what to do with that. And the opportunity after opportunity that came for me to make an impact, over a hundred young people came to visit me in the hospital that would not have done it had I just been healed. And they got to see a difference in me that they wouldn't have seen had I just been taking, it had just been taken care of. A nurse that, she used to have to help me up onto the table for the CAT scans that I had every month because that was policy. So I'm like, I am 16 years old. I have cancer. I do not have broken legs. I can get on this table. And she said, and her name was Cindy. And I said, Cindy, can I just get on the table by myself one time? And she goes, okay, but I'll just stand here. I'm like, great. So when I got on the table, I intentionally rolled off to their side and fell to mess with her. Cause that probably not the best, thing, but I did it. And Cindy comes running around. I'm like, ha, gotcha. To where Cindy then asked the question, Jeremy, you act like you're doing fine, but you have cancer. I'm like, I know. And she said, do you want us to have someone come talk to you? And I said, Cindy, are you asking me if I need a psychiatrist? And she said, well, I'm just saying, I'm like, you think I'm, you think I need to say, okay. I said, here's the thing. I said, I have people all over the country that are praying for me, Cindy. And I said, I know God's got me. I also know that if I wake up in the middle of the night scared, which I've done many times, I can pray because God's up 24 hours a day. So that's what I do. But I really appreciate it. So can we get the CAT scan done? Went on with the CAT scan, not thinking anything of it. And I came out after getting changed back into my clothes. And my parents were sitting out in the waiting room waiting for me like they always did. But this time they were staring at me kind of funny. Like, oh man, I'm in trouble. Because I got in trouble for the poker game that I played with my nurses. So I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble again. What have I done? And... Cindy, uh, Cindy had been with them and they said, what did you say to that nurse? And I said, I, I was just kidding. I rolled off the table. I was just joking. And they said, no, no, no. What did you say after that? And I shared what I said. And they said, she told us that she doesn't have much of a faith. She doesn't know much about God, but she's never seen anything like that. 
And if she's, if, if I could have that kind of faith, she would be praying for me every day. And every month when I saw Cindy, she would tell me, I'm praying for you. And I would say, and I'm praying for you. That wouldn't have happened if I'd have just been clean. That wouldn't have happened if God would have done it my way. So in that moment, as I was going through all ashes in all of those moments, it was still the worst thing that ever happened to me. It was still a horrible experience. I do not say it was good. It was just good for me. I continued to make God promises that I would do what he wanted me to do. Be careful what you promise God because he holds you to it. And so over time, I just took steps that, that opened up doors that allowed me to make impact in people's life for God's kingdom. And honestly, I am a, a, host, a trained hostage negotiator because I just wanted to make impact because I realized at 16 years old, you can make all the money in the world. You can have the coolest jobs in the world. But if you're not leaving a massive eternal impact on the world, most of it feels meaningless. And everything changed for me at 16. So I wanted to do something that had meaning. And I've just always looked for meaning in that. And so that's what led me to an entrepreneurial pursuit is there's got to be a way to earn income to provide for my family, have massive impact in other people's lives, you know, to, to do, you can do both. You don't have to have faith and be broke. You don't have to make an impact and give everything away and not, and not have for your own family. You can do both. And that's where I am today. Does that answer your question? Sorry, that was long. I told you I'm long-winded. Okay. So you didn't give me the memo that I was going to need to bring Kleenex to this interview because I am a mess over here. I don't know about you, faithpreneurs, but that I mean, we could basically close it right here. And he hasn't even talked about what, what we were going to talk about. So amazing. God knew that I needed to hear that today, honestly. And I know, um, gosh, why am I so emotional today? Um, he knows. He knows what it is in your story. And just to for all of you listening, look how impactful your story is. God's timing is so perfect that something that's so, um, that is his experience can pierce our hearts and can connect and make touch points with our own and our own experiences. So I want to thank you for that. And, um, and okay, so let's get into the business stuff so I can go grab some Kleenex. I'm going to like, <laughs> I'm gonna be like okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. So you should see the, um, the comments are blowing up over here. Oh, I'm so um, you know, what a great witness. Thank you, Michelle. Is, um, so truth, you can do both. Um, we've got not good, but good for me. Woo. Uh, we've got um, lots of people that are very, very excited uh, to hear to hear what you have to say. So thank you for sharing that, uh, that intro. And that's why I ask, because I know that those stories of the why behind what we do now are um, impactful and maybe sometimes even more impactful than, than the, than the details, the strategies, you know, everything else. It's, it's, it's amazing. God is so good. So, all right, Jerry. So now take us through where you are now and, um, and how we can bring this and hone this into business. Sure. So I guess we'll do another story. You want another story? Is that yeah. all right? Okay. So the ultimate truth is I'm actually a failure and that's why I've been successful. And I, I say that because, so we started by saying 
over time. So just to give you the progress, I 16 had that happen by the age of 18, I became a, um, a motivational speaker and I started speaking to young people, uh, across the West coast. And it was, it was crazy. Never even thought I would, would, I was, I was actually working at a, like a souvenir magic shop in downtown San Diego and selling magic tricks to kids. And I got a call and they said, Hey, we heard you do motivational assemblies. And I said, I absolutely do. I'd never done one in my life. And I did it. And, um, um, that led to, I thought I was going to show up to like a classroom. I actually showed up to an entire school, which led to another school, which led to another school, which led to Coca-Cola, which led to Pepsi, which led to a leader leadership conference. It was out of control and I had no idea what I was doing. And so then that led to me becoming an actual, a youth pastor. So I became a pastor. I did, I was a pastor for 14 years and then something sparked in me and I wanted to become a, um, a first responder. And that was just the next right step for me. And I really didn't understand why. And I got into, um, because I was a first responder for several years, um, which actually caused my health to deteriorate, uh, my physical health, my emotional health, uh, really bad to the, to the, the point where I actually had to take some steps to get physically healthy. Uh, I put on a whole lot of weight. I, um, I just, I, I didn't realize the emotional health, put on a lot of weight. So I got physically healthy. And then my son noticed a mental and emotional change in me to the point where my son said, dad, I'm so glad you did this. And I thought he was talking about losing weight. And he said, I said, why? Cause you want to borrow my clothes? Cause as you see, I don't take myself too serious. So, um, so, uh, he said, no, I'm glad you got better. Cause I'm not scared of you anymore, which was like a huge wake up call for me. How could my son be scared of me? And I went in and I said to my wife, did you know that Cameron was scared of me? And she said, well, yeah, we all kind of haven't liked you, be having you around very much lately. You just fly off the handle really quick, which then led to a whole nother exploration of what's going on in me to the point where I almost left being a first responder immediately and a supervisor who knew who I was, not just what I was and what I could do, but knew who I was. She said, Hey, I have a thought for you. Have you considered being a crisis negotiator, a hostage negotiator? And I was like, I've seen the movies with Denzel Washington. So absolutely. I want to do that. I don't even know how to do it, but yes, send me to the bank. I'm here. Let's go. And and she said, I think you'd be a really good negotiator. So I, I put in for it and I had asked her why she was, well, you're really, you're really quick on your feet. You're good with your words. And I'm a communicator. I know how to talk. And so I was like, I got this. So I studied for the interview and now I will tell you why I've seen success because I'm a failure. I studied for the interview. I got all the questions ready and I walked into the interview so proud of who I was, knowing that I had been recommended by a supervisor to do this job because I've got great talking skills and I know how to do it. And I got there and the person in charge of the interview panel met me out front and they normally do that to bring you in, met me out front and they said, okay, as we go in, this is a different interview than anything you've ever done. This is actually a role-playing interview first. And I said, say that again. And he said, this is a scenario. You're going to walk in and you're going to see a man and he's sitting on a mock-up bridge and that man refu is refusing to come off the bridge. What we want you to do is go talk him down, go get him to come off the bridge. And I went, uh Oh, but I knew I'm a, I'm a good enough talker. So I got this. So I walked in, I began to talk to him and I talked to him and I talked to him and I talked to him and he never responded back, never said a word. He just wouldn't respond. Kept talking to him. I kept talking to him. I kept talking to him. He just would say one, two words, one sentence, go away. 
That's all he would say to me. And I would say, no, I'm not going away. I'm here because I care about you. Tell me what brought you into the bridge. And I just continued to talk and, and do everything I could. Felt like forever. It was five minutes, but it felt like forever. Got done with that. Went through the normal interview part, the questions, and I crushed it. I was like, oh man, I got this. I'm so good. I was so confident on how well I had talked to the man and how well I had done with those interview questions that I was like, this is in the bag. I walked out of the interview really good. The, the lady at the front where I'd walked in, she's like, how'd it go? I'm like, oh, I did great. I was really good. And <laughs> yes, it's, I, I used to be conceited, but now I'm perfect. So anyways, I, um, I, I, I left and for three days I didn't hear anything. So I went to the supervisor who had asked me, and this is how sure of myself I was and my communication skills. I said to her, her name was Laura. And I said, Laura, I haven't heard anything for three days. When do I start? It wasn't like, did it go well? It wasn't like, Hey, what are some of the tips? It was, when do I start? And Laura said the sentence and the question you never want asked, do you want to know the truth? I mean, think about it. If you're listening, have you ever asked someone and they say, do you want to know the truth? What do we know? We know that we don't want the truth. Like at that moment, we know it's not good. It's not good. And I said, okay, well, I'm in too deep. So go ahead, lay it on me. And she said, well, the man who played the part of the bridge, she goes, you did very good on your questions. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I, Of course I did. And she said, the man who played the part of the, on the bridge, he has been a negotiator for 20 years. He's seen it all. She said, he said that had he been in true crisis and you showed up on that bridge, he would have jumped. And immediately my heart just sunk. And I couldn't figure out why. I was confused. I was devastated. I was embarrassed, very embarrassed. And I thought that meant I was not getting on the team. And I said, I'm so sorry I let you down. And she, I said, you gave my, you gave your name on behalf of me, like you put in a good word for me and I'm sorry. And she said, oh, hold on. They want to give you a shot. And I said, that makes no sense to me. I did, I did horrible. I thought I'm a great talker. She said, oh, you're really good at talking. The problem is negotiations is all about listening. She said, you're a great talker. You're just not that great at listening. And she said, but they see something in you. And she said to me that these words will stick with me the rest of my life. She said, Jeremy, your current potential, your, your future potential is not limited by your current abilities. If you choose to grow, you'll be an amazing negotiator. And I went humbly, okay, I'll learn to listen. So they put me on the team and I did everything in my power to begin to listen to listen, to listen, to listen, to listen, not to respond, but to listen, to connect, to learn, to ask really great questions. It's funny that I'm talking a lot right now. Cause I actually don't like this. I would let, rather come on your show and I'd rather ask you a bunch of questions because I've learned to get real curious, to understand, not to respond, not to get my way, but to help you have your way and to empower you. And I just listen and listen and listen. And three years later, and this is a story in itself, so I won't say it, but three years later, I had been on the team for three years. I had negotiated in lots of different things, but three years later, I got a call and it's the call that changed everything for me about why I do what I do even to this day and why I built the business I've built. Three years later, I got a call of a real person on a real bridge who really wouldn't talk to anybody. And it was the exact same scenario that I had had when I had interviewed three years before. And I happened to be the first one to the scene. And the first one to the scene usually goes on the bridge. 
And I tried to get there late, to be honest with you, because in my mind, I can't do this. I make normal people want to jump off bridges. How can I help him? So my partner and I, we'd never, it's never like Denzel. You never go alone. My partner and I walked onto the bridge and for eight hours, we communicated with a man who would not talk back to us. Everything about that scenario was the same, except for one thing, me. It was the same scenario. I, I had just grown and become different and I'd learned to listen. And at the three hour mark, he wouldn't talk to us. If we even took a step towards him, he would take a step almost off the bridge. He would lift a foot off the bridge. He would lean forward on the bridge. If we even moved, he would, he would move away. He would shake his head. No, he, he made it very clear. Don't come near me. And three hours he wouldn't talk, but he was communicating and he communicated differently, but he was communicating. And at the three hour mark, my partner asked him a question about something we had discovered about him. Um, because we have people that are doing research and we discovered that he had a son and my, my partner asked him a question about his son and he still didn't respond. He didn't answer. And my partner started to move on, but I saw something that I wouldn't have seen three years earlier. Cause I'd have been too, too busy thinking about what to say. He gave us a small thumbs up, just a small thumbs up when you heard his son. And I said to my partner, stop, go back, ask him another question about his son. And that question led to another question, to another question, until eventually he was laughing. He hadn't come off the bridge. He began to smell. He cried. We began to connect him to something that mattered to him. And he began to see a possible hope and future for himself with his son. And eight hours in, he stepped off the bridge. He almost fell four times off that bridge. He actually stepped off the bridge twice and then got back on. But at the eight hour mark, he stepped off the bridge. He walked over and he gave us hugs and said, thank you. And in that moment, I realized that everybody communicates. We just aren't always listening. And then I had this thought, what if I applied all of these things that just helped a man step off a bridge and come to me what if I applied them to this little side business I've got going on? My wife and I have a business. I'm like, what if, what if I start applying that to this side hustle that I've got going? What if I started teaching other people how to bridge the gap, how to use influence for heroic purposes? Cause I didn't make him come off the bridge. I'm not the hero. We made him the hero of his own story and he was empowered to walk off a bridge. What if I could help people find and help more clients and customers because they empower, they made them the heroes of their stories. And they, what if I could help them do that? And I began to build this bridge method. And I didn't even know I was building it at the time. I just started to teach it to the people in my network. And I began to teach it to the people in, in my organization that I was partnering with. And our business began to grow. Like it became not a side hustle. It actually allowed me to retire from my job 15 years earlier. I still work as a negotiator, by the way, it's a side note, but I, I, it allowed me to do that all from learning how to truly connect with anyone, build rapport, take hostile environments. Cause we all live in a hostile world, especially if you're in entrepreneurial world and convert them to trust quickly and for, for authentic and integrous purposes. Wow. And so that's what I do. I help people do that. I help people bridge the gap between where they are and where their customers are. That's what I do. Amazing. Amazing. And that's definitely a skill that's missing in the industry. It, um, 
it's like the gap for transformation for your own life as an entrepreneur and the lives of the people that God has called you to serve as your assignments. And um, so I think this is amazing. I hope you're all taking notes because he's going to lay his bridge method on us. <laughs> and um, and I can't wait to hear how, how this works, how we can start integrating it into our lives and in our businesses. Yeah. So the real, the real simple thing, and I'll just give you the real simple thing that you've got to do is everything starts. So the John Maxwell says, everyone communicates, very few people actually connect. And, and so in our business, um, that we actually work in that we, that we, that we built, that's, uh, you know, that's part of this, but in our business, we teach people that you've got to stop selling and telling people everything. And instead you start caring for people so that you earn the right to share with them what you have. Uh, so many people, they look at, um, I'll just use social media. They look at social media as a place to broadcast their message rather than a place to connect with people who need what they've got. And so, um, the first step in any situation where someone's on a bridge and you're trying to build that gap and you're trying to bridge that gap is turning the spotlight. It's just turning the spotlight. We oftentimes as entrepreneurs, we have this thing that we just love and we want to tell you all the reasons you should love it too. All the benefits that I can give you. And I want to tell you all about, and it's good intention. It's well-intentioned. And we actually hate the term influence. I actually did. I did a test in a, in a mastermind group I'm in and I wrote something about influence and I got so many negative responses and because influence sounds icky. And that's why I like the term heroic influence because heroic influence is actually empowering someone to be the hero of their story and get what they want. You just happen to get to be the, um, I forget his name right now, but uh, Batman had his his butler and I can't think of his name. You get to be the Batman's butler who provides a whole lot of resource to someone to go out and live out their superhero powers. Mm -hmm. And so what the first thing you've got to do is you have got to realize that connection is not about you. It is not about you telling your story. It's about you discovering someone else's story. And the first step is get to the heart of their story. That's number one. Get to the heart of someone else's story. You heard me say on the, that on the bridge, he was communicating. Everyone is communicating. Everyone is communicating. They just aren't always talking to you, but they are communicating. Um, he was communicating by shaking his head. No, he was communicating with small little thumb raises. Like for about an hour, once we got him to talk, he would only give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down, but that was enough. We would, that was enough for us to have a conversation. Everyone is communicating. When he, when he started to talk about his son, he would, he would raise his, raise his shoulders, right? He would, he would, when we would talk about his son, he would lift up, he would stop leaning over and he would lift up. That's communication, body language. We think that our words are what communicates. There's so much more. So we have to get to the heart of the person's story. So how do we do that? Curiosity, authentic curiosity is how we start by getting to the heart. So how do, how can you do that in your world? And I'm going to give you a whole bunch of stuff, obviously, in the, in, the, in the method. We go into detail on each of these small pillars. But the first thing you've got to do is um, start asking why somebody, not, not why do you want, why did they do that? Why did they do, why did they just post that about their family? Why did they just share that about this, their frustration? Why were they, why were they, it feels like they were a little guarded on that post. I wonder what's going on behind that post. When I look at a potential client or a potential customer's overall social media page, it, it gives me so many clues to about what they value and what their story is. So many clues. 
So we start by just watching what they're communicating, even when they're not talking to you. And then we go into the next step is like, earn the right to have the conversation. So I ask them questions about the things they're already sharing. I dive in and I want to know, and I am not attached to outcome. Please hear me. If you're trying to build a business, stop being attached to outcome and start being attached to people. Stop being attached to outcome and start being attached to people. I genuinely want to know if you ever get a DM from me, it's because I actually want to know. I don't send hey girl messages because that's weird. I'm married, so I don't do that. I, I don't even send hey guy messages because that's weird too. I genuinely want to know your story. So we start by asking really strong questions, getting to the heart of someone's story. Then we use active listening skills. In, in my world, and I'll teach it to you, it's more pies. There's nine strong active listening skills you can use. Minimal encouragers. That's the hmm, the yeah, the what. Um, Open-ended questions. I love it when someone sends me a yes or no question in a, in a message because I only will give them yes or no. Uh, and, and, and then the conversation dies. But if I ask you a question that can tell me more. So open-ended questions. Reflecting, mirroring. Some of the greatest things you can do, greatest compliments, is you can help someone to see themselves in you. It tells you, um, it tells them that you're listening to them. Reflecting and mirroring. Emotional labeling. Oh man, I spent an entire segment just teaching you how to label someone's emotion. Because most people are heard, but they're never understood. And if you, and most people cannot actually tell you what they're feeling, but if you can help them to discover what they're feeling, you will immediately connect. So emotional labeling. Um, there's a bunch of them. I'm not going to go into all of them. I'm so sorry, but there's a ton of them. So learning active listening. So the first thing is I can, I get curious about them. Then I ask really great questions out of curiosity and I listen actively. I listen actively. Then I use what we would call tactical empathy. Tactical empathy is not agreeing with everything that somebody believes in or values, but it's helping to understand it, to relate to it. Empathy is not me telling you all about why that applies to me too. It's just you knowing, oh, me too. It's, oh, me too. And then I work really hard to build influence by getting to the Ultimate question. And Chris Voss, who's a great negotiator, he says this. He says, the goal is to get to that's right. Mm -hmm. When you can get to a place where you share something and the person on the other side goes, that's right. Now you're on the cusp of influence because they know you've got them. And when you, when you get somebody, and I don't mean get them as a customer. I mean, get them as a person. When you understand them, now you've earned the right to utilize what we would teach as triggers and hooks, to utilize those things authentically and with integrity to move them across the bridge towards the product or service that you know will help them achieve this thing that they just said, that's right, that's what I want. That's what I'm going for. And you won't have to pull them, you'll empower them to take steps towards you. So that's the overall view. Does that does that answer your question, Monica? Of like, Oh, yes, that's okay. amazing. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see. See, I am also a talker, so it's very easy to get lost in my own world of what I want to say of how even I want to like maybe encourage or, you know, pour into someone. But sometimes it's better to be the receptacle, right, of mm -hmm. all of that or not sometimes. I think all the time that's the starting point. Yeah, I, I think one of the greatest things that a person can do is become a really great detective. We, we make it a goal 
honestly, even in our family, we do this in our small group, um, at our church small group. We do this with our boys. Uh, as that were, by the way, I, I didn't mention this, but yes, they were wrong about the children. I have two; they are mine. Um, the doctors were wrong, but we do this with our boys. It is to walk away from any conversation knowing more about someone else than they actually know about me. When I, the law of reciprocation is extremely real. And what we think that means is if I do something nice for you, you're going to buy my product or service. That's not what it means. The law of reciprocation does though, however, build a bond between people that when I, when I value you so much that I find out about you and I don't make it about me, I'm not listening for what my next response will be, but more so, so that I can get you, you feel that. And there is a sense of the reciprocation back that makes someone go, okay, well, what do you do? Do you know how many clients that we've started in our business um, that my wife and I do together? The bridge gap, the bridge method is something I just do, but that my wife and I do together. There's so many clients that we have started that we actually, they didn't even know what we did. They just, we've just added so much value to them by just hearing them and, and hearing their story and understanding their story that they've come back around and go, okay, so what do you do? Cause I think you could help me. Yep. So what do you, what do you do? Uh, and that's because the law of reciprocation says that when I do for someone else, there is a, there is an internal thing that says I should do for them. I should do for them. Even though they don't realize they're doing for me, that is what's happening when they're asking, Hey, can you help me? They know there's something going on there and they, and they want to, they want to contribute to it. They want to be a part. They want, they want me to win because I wanted them to win. And so, so yes, the more we can investigate, the more we can add value and learn about somebody else, the more likely they are to think of you when they need help, to think of you when they want to, whatever it is that you offer. So Anyway, so yes, I think we all get caught up in our head and go, ooh, so is this the moment? Is this the moment that I asked them, do you want to buy this? Is this the moment? Oh, do you want my thing? Like that, we're all doing that. We're like, okay, this is the window. This is the window. This, 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 oh, that, oh, shoot, I missed the window. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. It'll, it'll come. And I'm not saying that you don't go for the ask. I actually, part of what we teach in the bridge method is at some point you have to have a surrender plan. At some point, a hostage, a hostage taker is going to say, okay, you're right. I think I want to come out. And if I don't have a plan on how to do that, if I don't have the, uh, a way to know that it's a time for me to, to ask him, hey, are you ready to walk outside? I have to have a plan for how that's going to happen. So I'm not telling you that if you're in business that you're just waiting for everybody to come to you. That's not what I'm saying. Because at some point, you got to go for the ask. At some point, you got to have a surrender plan that says, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I can help you. And here's, what, here's the steps I want you to take. Are you open to taking those steps? The difference between your average cop on the street and a negotiator is that the average cop on the street does what I did three years before I was on the real bridge. They just keep saying it over and over and over again. And if you're hearing me, you might be able to respond to this. And maybe this is the nugget you need to take away. Your follow-ups with your potential clients and customers are not follow-ups to just ask if they're ready to buy yet. They're follow-ups to see how they're doing at this moment. They're follow-ups to have more questions, to ask more questions, to have a greater conversation. So the difference between a cop and a, and a negotiator is a cop sees a guy with a gun and he says, put down the gun, put down the gun, put down the gun. Kind of sounds like the broken records of direct messages some of us get and, and send. Yeah. Whereas a negotiator comes in and says, number one, they get curious. Sir, why are you holding the gun? 
what 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 brought us to this place today? How did we get to a place you're holding gun? And then they'll ask one time. We have a rule as negotiators. We ask one time, are you ready to put down the gun? I also didn't tell them to put down the gun. I said, are you ready to put down the gun? And then I do not ask again until I've earned the right, until I've heard him say, that's right. Great. If that's right, are you ready to put down the gun now? And when he says yes, then I'm able to earn, I've now earned the right to say, awesome. You've made such a good decision. Let me show you exactly how we're going to do this. And that's without giving you every little like step and pillar. I hope I, I, I mean, I would have, I, I should have probably, I'm, I'll apologize, but without it, that's what we do. We find out the story. We listen with the intention to understand even deeper reasons of the story. We use, we use empathy in order to, to gain influence. And then we have a surrender plan that says, are you ready? If you're ready, I can help you. I love that. It's genius. It makes total sense. And I can relate to, uh, to the story you're saying, my daughter is a police officer. So okay. I know, yeah, so I can see, I can see the difference there. I'm gonna have her watch this, <laughs> but it's awesome. I think um, I have a few questions for you real quick. Uh, and I know everybody is having fun. We've got Carol saying, this is so good. And Michelle's like, wow. Uh, so this has been super, super valuable. I know that people are, they're loving the information. And as entrepreneurs, we love listening to new information, new concepts, new thoughts. How can we start integrating this proactively into our lives and businesses? Because one thing is being an information hoarder, but I would really love for uh, these faithpreneurs to say like, yeah, I can do this and let me, let me get started with it. Mm -hmm. I think, um, so number, first thing is to ask yourself a question. Okay. So, and then I'll actually give, I, I actually, as you said that I had told you earlier, I'm like, I don't really have anything to give. I'll actually give you something. But, um, the first thing is to ask yourself a question and that is why do they want it? A lot of times we know why we want them to have it. We know why we want them to have it, but we need to ask somebody, we need to ask ourselves, okay, this person's I'm going to assume in a, in a room like this, I'm going to assume on, on a, on a show like this, there's a lot of people that are work from home, direct sales entrepreneurs. And which by the way, I'm all about, I, I've built a very successful business in direct sales. So I love it. Oftentimes we go, Ooh, let me tell you all the benefits of what I have. And I want you to have this. I want you to have this. And, and we're well-intentioned, but we need to start with what do they want? How, when you look at your potential client on your list, because most entrepreneurs work from a list, a dream list, when you look at your potential client or your potential partner that you want to partner with in business, what is the feature that you have that benefits what they want? A lot of times I'll ask people like, well, why, why is that person on your list? Well, I just know that it would be really good for them. For this. Do they care about that? Do they care? So I think it always starts with the question, what is it that they want? Get your, get the spotlight off you, make them the hero. So I would always start, I start, I, every one of the people I mentor, I always will ask, so what's in it for them? What do they want? Why, why is this good for them? Tell me two reasons. 
Tell me at least two reasons and then tell me two reasons below that. So if you're in the wellness space, I hope you would never say, Hey, you look like you could use lose weight. I've got a great product for, I hope you would never say that. Um, but you may notice someone who doesn't have energy. Oh, they could really use energy and then ask the next question. Why, why do they need the energy? Mm. You might observe that they're, they're a parent of, of toddlers and energy is important for that. Then after you've asked your own and gotten your own ideas, don't assume you're right. Then you get it curious and you begin, you begin to ask them about those things, but now you have a base to jump from. So, um, that's where we talk about triggers and hooks. Some things are triggers that say, uh, uh-uh, get away from me. I don't even like my kids. Why are you talking about my kids? Right. That's a trigger. And some things are hooks. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're so right. You're so right. And so then we begin to ask questions. Oh, I see you with your kids, man. That is, I love, tell me like, what made you guys go to the park? Why, what is it about that park that you love? And now I can begin to dive in. Cause I think this might be the reason they need my program. I think this is the, might be the neat reason they need my product. I got to ask questions about them to earn it so that I can then say, oh, I can help you with that. So does that, does that answer your question, Monica? Yes, for sure. Okay. For so sure. that's a practical. The other thing I'll tell you is most people really don't do well at asking questions. So I will give you, if you, if, if you have people, I don't know, just have them DM me or go to, go to my Instagram. Cause I like Instagram, mm-hmm. um, go to, go to my Instagram and, um, you can actually download, I've got like, I think it's 20 or 50 open-ended questions that you can just have. You just download them off off of my, um, my profile. So, yeah. So that's the other thing is learn to ask good questions, practice asking questions and make sure they're never closed. Never closed. I never end a conversation without asking a question ever, ever. So someone asks me a question, I am going to end it. I'm going to end my answer with a question about them. So does that, does that, um, let us like, is there more than that that you'd like me to add? Oh no, that's, that's amazing. And thank you so much. I'll put all his information in the, in the description once we finish here and, um, and we can grab that. That is amazing. I have one last question for you, uh, because I'm sure people would love to, to kind of know the habits of the entrepreneurs who, who I would see you as a mentor, right? Um, and so what what kind of habits do you have in your business, like in your daily business to go about and just kind of, I know this seems kind of off of what we were talking about, but I think it's it's really cool to see how different people lead their lives, like in terms of priorities and how you start your day and that kind of thing. If you want to touch on that real quick. Sure, yeah. I um, Well, we start every day. Um, my wife and I, we start every single day with um, our time with the Lord. And we, we, we personally, we do that individually. I'm not saying I don't pray for my wife, but I spend time. And then I write down, I'm huge on gratitude. So I, I have a, I have a part of my journal. I, my prayer life is found in my journaling life. And so those things go together. So I use really cool resource. If you're someone who does not like, I almost said sucks at, but if you don't like journaling, um, I didn't like journaling either. I found the daily Kairos. They are phenomenal and they're 13 week journals. And every day has a, um, an area for just gratitude. So I write down, I start with a scripture that's been on my heart. I write down three minimum of three things I'm grateful for in that day. They're usually for me, they're usually attached to things that are I'm struggling with. 
So if I'm mad at my boys for messing up the house, I am grateful for the time I have with my boys while they're messing up the house. Right. So I, so, so I, I do, I, I do great gratefulness every day. I, I read the word and then I started doing this more recently. I used to just read, but I discovered 75 hard where you read 10 pages a day of a nonfiction book. So I read 10 pages, no less than 10 pages every day of some type of business building book, something that's business building. I like, um, business from faith based leaders. So I love anything from John Maxwell. I really, um, most recently, Mark Batterson wrote a book called Win the Day, which is an amazing book for business builders, but it's 100% faith-based. So I really like that. So um, I try to read a gratitude, time with the Lord, read a non nonfiction book, at least 10 pages. And then for me, I have very specific, I'm at a place in my business that I'm working mostly with, uh, I'm mentoring mostly business partners. So I go through and I look and see where everyone is in my business. Every single day I do this, the, the, I look, where is everyone at in my business? Who need, who's on the cusp of breakthrough that I can work with and help them to discover um, what is possible for them next? I actually don't teach a lot of tactics. I deal a lot in strategy. Most people know what they need to do next. They just need someone to help them see what's possible. So I, so I go and I, and I contact various people within my business for a season, just, you know, if you're not at that place in your business for a season, it's who are the clients that need to be contacted. But now I'm working more with people that I'm mentoring. So I do that every single day. I work out every single day. My wife and I work out for at least 30 minutes every day. And that we do do together because I'm not good enough to do it on my own. I need accountability. So she's built in accountability. I do that every single day. And, and then for me, it's integration. So although those things happen, the certain things happen every morning, a lot of that is worked in throughout my day because the beauty of a work from home life is the integrated life. So I take my son to school. I take my, I take him to practice. I go watch my other son play baseball. He doesn't need to ride anymore because he doesn't want me riding with him and his girlfriend, but I go to those things and, and I integrate my life in those ways because I've earned the ability to do that. Is, is that, is that clear enough for you? Yes, completely clear. I love it. So where can they find you on uh, online? Where are, sure. where are all the places? I am like the most unique way to find me is just my name. So you just find me at Jeremy Nix anywhere. I'm jeremynix.com. I'm Jeremy Nix on Twitter. I'm Jeremy Nix on Instagram and I'm Jeremy Nix on Facebook. So I would love to connect. I will tell you, I, the, if, if you want anything from me, literally anything, just message me. I love messenger DMS from Instagram, whatever. I love it all. And so um, if you do, you can just find me on Instagram. And then did you want me to tell them we talked about the bridge? Do you want me to tell yeah, them? About yeah. that? Okay. And so if you do want to connect, um, send me a DM and just put the word bridge in the DM on any of those platforms. It doesn't matter if you just say bridge, what I'm doing is I'm actually going to launch. I'm doing this as an experiment. So it's good. You get to get in at the beginning of it. Uh, so if you, if you message me bridge, end of June, I will launch a six week mini mastermind that you can jump in on for pretty much nothing. And I, and I, and I say that because I've gotten been given a lot of flack that I'm not charging enough. So, um, it's going to be pretty much nothing for anyone who wants to come in because I want your feedback. I actually want you to help me make it better because you're the hero. So you'll help me make it better. So just message me bridge and I'll send you all the information on, on how you can get notified when I'm ready to launch that group and take people. I, for this point, up to this point, I've kept it internal to my own business. 
but I just believe in abundance and there's more than enough success for us to go around. I don't care what business, what business you have. There's just enough. And people that are faithpreneurs, I know that you are making real, real world profit for kingdom purposes. And so I want you to succeed. So if this will help you, I want you to have it. So that's what I would say. Amazing. Thank you so much. I know everybody here is going to be excited and I will be promoting that once you, uh, once you put that out, cause I'm going to be the first one in line to sign up. <laughs> You'll see me. There's a, just consider this the DM. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> I love it. So everybody is falling out of their seats here. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, oh, Michelle reads 10 pages, a good book a day yeah. also. It's such a great way to go, Michelle. Good call. Yes. Oh, man. I don't even know what to say. This has been fantastic. Such great wealth of knowledge, uh, experience, motivation, inspiration, all the things. So Cindy says she already DM'd you. So awesome, expect, <laughs> expect some more uh, coming your way. Um, by the way, Jeremy is also in our Faith-Led Business Builders group. So uh, so you can chat with him there as well. And uh, so I'm excited about that. And uh, wow, this has been amazing. I cannot wait to get it up on the podcast for other people to listen to over and over and over again because you gave so many great uh, ideas and strategies. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your inspiration. I pray God's blessings over you, your business, your family, all the desires that he's placed in your heart to serve others. And uh, we will just keep moving on. We will. Uh, how many of you want Jeremy back? We will definitely have him back on the podcast because this was way too good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I love it. And I, I just hope it adds value. At the end of the day, if we just add value wherever we go, right? That's the goal. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Well, thank you, Jeremy. We are going to sign off then and have a fantastic rest of your day, Faithpreneurs. We will see you again on Thursday for uh, another episode, but I'm so glad we had this opportunity to chat with Jeremy. Oh, everybody is so, so excited. Um, very, very excited. Value. They're like, hashtag value. Love it. <laughs> so have a great afternoon, everybody. We will talk soon.